they're doing fine. I know that we say that a lot that people say that, but I think that oftentimes you hear, well, they're gifted. So it's already easy for them. Why do they need advocates? Why do they need support? Hello and welcome to NCAGT's first ever podcast. We're your host, Hannah Park and Catherine Caldwell. As educators, we feel it's our responsibility to reach all students that walk through our door. However, we realize that every year there are children in our classroom that we feel are put on the back burner because we lack the resources, knowledge, and support to provide for them everything that they need and rightfully deserve. Often these learners are eventually referred to as being gifted, but the problem with that is there's no universal definition of what it means to be gifted, which leads to a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of inconsistencies. So knowing that we're not the only educators who feel this way, we've decided to work in tandem with NCAGT to interview entrepreneurs, community leaders, stakeholders, and experts throughout the field of gifted education to uncover the truth about what it truly means to be gifted, spread awareness, and hopefully be an instrument of change. This podcast is for anyone who is seeking to learn more about gifted education, parents, educators, and learners from all walks of life. Our organization is committed to being an instrument of change. On today's podcast, we had the wonderful Jessica Applegate with us, and she is one inspiring individual. She's currently the executive director for NCAGT, where she oversees the day-to-day operations of the organization. She helps to set and guide strategy and vision for the organization, so many things. She graduated from the University of North Carolina Greensboro with honors, with a BA in Peace and Conflict Studies and a minor in Psychology. She also interned with the Department of State under the Diplomat in Residence. She worked and volunteered for several nonprofits. She's also the mom of five children and she homeschools them all. She is currently a fourth of the way through her MBA of the, at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and plans to graduate in May of 2024. And in our conversation today, we are focusing on what NCAGT is and why it's so important for all stakeholders to learn more about what it truly means to be gifted. It's a beautiful conversation, the first of many. We hope you enjoy it and take a little nugget of knowledge with you. Enjoy. All right. So, um, one of the things we were looking at in the document that you sent us was your, it was your major. Mm-hmm. What was it? Peace and conflict studies. Yeah, conflict studies. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. We, neither of us had that opportunity. To, uh, we never even saw that in the universities that we went to. So can you tell us a little bit about that major? Yeah. So and I started as a psychology major, which I guess don't we all, but, um, <laughs> and then took a really long period off of school and had five children um, in there. And so I think my concentration in life maybe just um, changed a little bit, but this kind of aligned with psychology um, in a lot of really cool ways. And so, yeah, it was, a lot of it really was just you know, there's some conflict management in there, but it was a lot about just how to work with people. Um, and so I, I sometimes think they're doing themselves a disservice by calling it peace and conflicts. That sounds like, you know, like this really hippie 
degree that people won't take seriously. And sometimes I feel like a little embarrassed when I tell people what it is, if I don't explain to them what it is, but really it's like the most useful information you could ever have. It really is just how to, how to interact with people, how to have cultural humility. It's just thinking about things from a different perspective and not really even having it shoved down your throat. Like sometimes you feel like you do in college, you know, but it was just, it's just learning how to interact with other people. And so like the effective communication piece is amazing. Um, I've been able to use some of the practices that I learned there in our home. So restorative practices, there's a lot of restorative justice stuff in there. And some of it is just, um, so like I can sit down with my kids if something happens or whatever. And we talk through the process and we learn how to make it right. And there's, so it's not just like sending you to your room because you made me mad or that's, you know, your perception of it. Um, it's sitting down and realizing like you broke the window and this is why that's not cool. And we can fix that together. And then also, I just remember, um, at one point in the program, somebody talking about how important communication, like real effective communication was and talking about how two people want this orange, they're arguing because they want this orange. And so there's, um, there are all these options. We can neither have, neither of us can have the orange. One person can have the old orange. We could cut the orange in half, but without proper communication, we're not realizing that if we cut the orange in half, we're both not even really getting what we want because you might just need the juice and I might just need the rind. And if we had talked about it, you know, and so just kind of approaching everything in life that way. Um, so I could talk about it forever because I'm, no, I, love so cool. I was thinking like that would be such a cool course, like in like an, an the teacher's major. Like, I think that would be a really cool course to take because I'm thinking about just with students and different things that happen during the day. I feel like there's like conflict management all the time. Like, yes. Yeah. And the sort really of cool. practices. So in Forsyth County here, I've um, interned and still volunteer with a triad or sort of justice. And so they actually are working with kids and um, teachers and officers who are in schools learning how to do this. And so it's teaching kids. um, Like I went through community resiliency model training at some point, and it's just teaching kids to recognize, like, I'm getting angry and rather than break something or throw something or whatever, I'm going to calm myself down and we can talk about it or just learning how their actions impact others. And it's really interesting to see how kids react to it. It's like, it's intuitive, like it makes sense to them. And somehow in between childhood and adulthood, we lose that. And then mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's amazing. I would encourage strongly for anyone to take uh, any of those courses if you can. Sounds like a huge piece of just kind of like the social emotional learning that's been, yeah. you know, being really pushed into schools right now, which is a beautiful thing. Yes. That would be amazing. Like an amazing high school course for high oh, schoolers yeah. to have for people who maybe don't have the opportunity or uh, want to go to college, you know, to have some of those skills will be really, really, oh gosh, really, really beautiful and beneficial. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're currently getting your MBA. Yes. Um, correct. Okay. And you're doing all of that while working a full-time job and homeschooling six kids. Yeah. That's amazing. First of all, like how do you balance all of that? Scheduling, I would say, so this job is supposed to be, you know, half time, but it isn't. That's kind of how nonprofit is. You're always working at least twice as many hours as you say. Oh, so sure. it is. It's just like a heavily scheduled day. So from six in the morning until nine, I'm doing my schoolwork. And then from nine to 12, I'm sitting down with kids. And then at 12, I sit down and do NCAGT until dinner time. And then I make dinner and clean up from dinner. And then I'm back at the um, desk again, just finishing up whatever needs to be finished up until it's time to do 
beds and baths and all of the wonderful things that, yeah. So it's exhausting, but it'll be worth it. When I've heard you talk a little bit about running too, because I feel like you can't do all of that without having some sort of outlet, right? So, and you shared that you ran a couple marathons Mm -hmm. and I trained for a half marathon and never did it. I never showed up to the start line. I I was getting up to running. Like, I think I ran the most was like eight and a half, nine miles. Yeah. was doing really good. And then I just, I had what we call a MNTB, a mental breakdown and just like too much stuff on my plate in life. Mm -hmm. But I remember using running as like on those hard days, like going out and it's a game changer. Oh yeah. So where do you, do you find time to do that? Do you have to just do it during certain seasons of the year? Yeah, this class right now that I'm in, uh, it's been actually uh, sometimes up to 40 hours a week for this specific course, which is just madness. So I haven't been able to do a lot, but up, up until the last semester, I do just a couple times a week, I get out and run. And I swear to you, it's like all the problems you just cannot solve when you're sitting at the desk just, it clears your mind and you can think. And so that that's definitely my sanity time. It's when I can just kind of let everything all out or bring it all in or commune with God or whatever it is. I'm just, again, like a super big hippie. And so being out in nature is very helpful for me. Good for the soul. It is. Yeah. And then I'm also technically 2E. I'm ADHD and, um, and supposedly gifted somewhere in there. Uh, Pause. Um, So what does 2E mean? So 2E refers to intellectually gifted children who have one or more learning disabilities. So sometimes it's Mm -hmm. called twice exceptional 2E, but it's basically they have learning disabilities as well as being gifted. So Mm -hmm. dyslexia, ADHD, um, autism, a lot of times twice exceptional children think and process information differently, Mm -hmm. which is probably, Jessica, why running is so helpful Mm -hmm. for you to work through and process your own emotions and thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think when my body is so busy is when I, my mind can be clear enough to think, you know, because I'm doing so many, my body's just working as hard as it possibly can. And then my mind's like, cool. So we're busy with something. So let's think out, you know, let's think through these problems. And so um, thank God for running. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's all, I feel like it's also a time when you do have six kids that you're taking care of that's guaranteed alone time because those yeah. sick kids aren't keeping up with you on right. the running trail. <laughs> right. So do you do you just have a lot of support from your husband and your mom, I think it is, to watch them or do they police yeah. each other while you run? Yeah. Now now it's mostly that the the older kids can help. So it really is, it's just this kind of built-in partnership. And um, at the beginning of every year, we sit down and we talk about it. Do you still want to homeschool? Is this working for you? Do you feel like you're learning? Do I feel like you're learning? We look at their test scores. We kind of adjust our curriculum. And then they have to understand that for me to be able to do this with you, I have to also be able to do all of these things and it has to fit. And they're just really awesome kids. I'm just really lucky. Honestly, I don't know how I looked out so much. And so my oldest two um, are 17 and 15. And, um, they just help. And really I'm here, you know, most of the day we homeschool and I work from home. So I'm here all the time. And so if it's just that really quick 30 minutes of running, um, they're really good to just kind of be super supportive. And I think they realize I'm a nicer mom that way too. So you said you check their test scores. Mm -hmm. So do you do like a, like map testing or 
like a nation norm test? What do you guys use? Yeah. Um, so at the end of the year, we're required, homeschoolers are required to just uh, keep attendance. And I think we have to do like vaccination records. And then at the end of the year, you just are required to take a standardized test that's accepted. So we do that test at the end of every year and we just keep it in our records so that if they have to come in, get it for any yeah. reason that we have it. So well, for the school that I work with, because I left public school and I'm now working with a private virtual school. Um, and one of our things is we despise standardized testing because we just feel like it breaks down a yeah. kid's sense of self-worth mm-hmm. and like just seven years in the public education system really like it, that's what's important there. Mm-hmm. And I just don't believe in that. And so I think we've tried a couple different testing, but they're expensive. So, yeah, but when, so we get ours for like 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. Um, And also like, I'm super against standardized testing. And so with my kids, we don't even really like go over the scores. We don't, I mean, like, yeah, we don't either. I I just tell them like, we're required to do this. So we're going to just check it off. If you don't understand it, who cares? Like my biggest thing is, are you learning? And if not, then we need to be doing something different. And so as long as we're making progress, whatever that looks like and see, and that's a big thing for me too, is, um, so I had coffee with Matt Makel a little while ago. Um, I don't know. Do you know who he is? No. So he, um, works with Johns Hopkins and also with DPI. I don't know. I can't remember. I've met so many people in the last year, but he, um, like his biggest thing was just like personalized learning and how, if you not necessarily going back, but like kind of similar to what has been done many, many years ago where all the kids are in the same classroom and then they progress as they learn. Instead of saying like, you are 12, so you're in this grade. It's you've learned how to master this math thing. So now you're moving up to the next thing in math. And so that's kind of how we do things in our home as well is just as long as we're continuing to move forward and we're learning. Um, and, and as long as they can still love learning because the minute that we make them hate it, then we have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And so that's it for me is we will do it if we have to, but it doesn't mean anything in our home other than we're doing what we have to do. I love that. The idea of teaching based on skill, mm-hmm. not what you should do at seven because yeah. they have to develop at their own rates and in different subjects, you're going to have that asynchronous development. You know, you're going to have a kid that might be a high flyer in reading, but they struggle a little bit with that. So having that freedom and flexibility to kind of adapt the curriculum to what they need, I think is a very beautiful thing. Um, Cause it's so frustrating and hard in a public school setting. Like that's something I would love to give all of my kids, but it's just, it's very hard. It's very hard to make that happen. Do you feel like any of your children identify as being gifted? So because I'm so anti like all things establishment, we don't really do a lot. But I will tell you like 100% for certain, my middle son is an absolute genius. It kind of boggles the mind. And I love um, just conversing with him. So we will go, we usually do morning walks together um, to start our homeschool day. And we'll be out. And he asks questions that I'm like, why does nobody ask this question? Like, why, you know what? And, and it makes you see the world in just a completely different way. And so I love it. And um, we actually, I'm hoping that at some point I can get ahead enough. I've got like two more weeks left in this class, but I want to get some of um, Sheila Gallagher's problem-based learning stuff that she has with um, fireworks 
Royal Fireworks Press. Um, I would love to see what he can do with that because he's just um, a genius. And my oldest son, I think he would probably be considered 2E. And then I have a couple of kids who are like extremely gifted artistically, but if you try to get them to sit down and do school, it's just, uh, it's a wreck. Like reading has been harder for them or math has been harder for them, but they will, they could draw anything or they could paint anything. Um, so yeah, I would say a couple of them for sure would probably test into that. And they always test above national average, um, when we do our end of year testing. So I don't know what that looks like. I mean, that's not like an actual test for giftedness, but. Right. Well, and I mean, a lot of times in the public setting, they'll use standardized testing Mm -hmm. scores as being qualified into certain programs in different counties. Everyone kind of has their own set of rules for how their gifted programs work, but I'm sure if they're testing above then they would probably qualify. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you as a child were identified as being gifted, right? And that kind of, um, you shared that it, I don't know, brought on maybe some pressures being given that specific label and that that's kind of what drew you to NCAGT. So what about NCAGT excites you in that type of way? So the idea of the social emotional support was just a huge selling point for me. Um, I just feel like there's so much focus on the academic portion with these kids, right? Like we want them to produce, we want them to achieve, we want to push them harder, we want to give them more. And I, um, it's one of the biggest things for me is that, um, that parent educator partnership. Um, and just making sure that parents really understand what it means to be gifted um, and and then what that what that entails as far as what that child needs. And so it's not just that they can handle more, they can be given more, they can do more, they can, you know, have higher grades, they can do it. it's it's also that they have these other needs. Um, and then how you respond to their failure is so important because, you know, as a gifted kid, you're already, likely a perfectionist or, you know, a lot of them are. And so then that first time that you're put into a harder class and you actually have to pay attention and maybe you get like a B or a C, I can remember, I don't remember most things in my life. I remember the first time I got a C and the response that that got at home and that moment, just hating, hating school, because you say that I'm this thing but this is hard now. And now you're saying I'm not this thing because I didn't bring you what you wanted. Um, and so that social emotional part was what really drew me to this organization. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm really excited to focus on going forward. That's so beautiful. Cause I was just thinking about it from like a teacher perspective and I didn't even think about a parent's perspective and how that information would be so beneficial for parents to know and for them, like you said, to know what to do. Like, you know, when we have a conference or something, we were just talking about conferences and, you know, I have to give grades to a parent who thinks that their child should be making A's right now and how it's not just, I don't know how there's just so much more to, to what giftedness is and how that would be so great for parents to know that information too. I think that's one of the the biggest issues in the world of giftedness is the lack of communication between parents and teacher and teacher and just like the higher ups, even within like the gifted program in a county. Um, I think there's just a lot of disconnect. So organizations like NCAGT with the purpose of kind of filling in some of those gaps. I think one of the things about having Catherine in on this is she's kind of the reminder that 
there's so much that people don't know. Like when we say oh, to yeah. me, a lot I was sitting people, here like, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. And th- and this, that's part of the problem is that right. the majority of our teachers have no idea what it means to be twice exceptional. They don't right. know what it means to be neurodivergent. Right. And so think that that kind of, it's almost like, she's like there's our no training on it. Yeah. She's like a red flagger of yeah. like, that doesn't make like sense. Normal for, people yeah. don't know this. <laughs> yeah. But that's perfect. And I'm hoping that that will come into play. Like in the podcast, like that those conversations will be left in there instead of edited out. Because I cannot tell you when I started, I felt like an absolute moron. And that's a huge thing for me is when you think about these um, underserved populations or, you know, a lot of the times these kids who are gifted coming from those homes, their parents have no idea what is going on ever. And then the more stupid you make them feel, the less they want to participate in what you're doing. And then they have no idea how to support their child because they're shut off and shut down. And it's so important. I think that we um, were just very intentional and inclusive with our practices, with the way that we speak, with the way that we bring kids into these programs, because it can be really irresponsible to do it if we're not doing it the right way. Um, it can cause a lot more damage than, than it can help. Um, that negativity that it then feeds into the kids from the parents. A lot of times, not intentionally, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's disheartening and discouraging for sure. And then you get that, the whole, like, well, you're so smart. You figure it out. You know, you're not getting that same support because you, you think you're better than us. Look how smart you are, your teacher, you know, and it's just, uh, and that's when kids, again, it's huge for me. Like, I don't ever want to see a child who hates learning. Yeah, absolutely not. So I don't know. I really do sincerely hope, especially with this podcast, with a lot of other things that we're doing, that we're able to bridge that gap because you see it's such a, it's like so visible the way that the parents hate the teachers and the teachers hate the parents. And this person's trying to do this and they're sabotaging this and and they don't know my kid and you don't know your kid. And it's just this really horrible place. And I hope that we can bridge that because we all, they really, we all have to work together to do what we're trying to do. Mending some of those relationships. Um, and I know that, um, and CAGT's had some changes, some big changes in the past year or so, wouldn't you say? And um, on our website, the mission says to support the educational and social emotional needs of academically and intellectually gifted students. Yeah. And the vision is gifted and talented students are recognized, highly valued, and passionately supported in North Carolina. Um, so if you were to say NCAGT had some short or long-term goals, what would you kind of, are there any that you, that come to mind? Yeah, I think we kind of just touched on uh, the one that's most important to me, just coming from my background and, and honestly, in all the places that I've worked with students and um, whether they're in trouble with uh, the police department or whether they're excelling at school or whatever it is, um, if parents are not involved in the process, if they do not understand what's going on, then nothing that you do is ever going to really be able to benefit that child as much as it should, right? And so to me, it is being that bridge builder. That's what I want us to be. I want us to have more parent members. I want us to have more parent, um, more parents sitting on our board and attending our conference. And so it's going to be... Um, putting out more content that's appropriate for families and just, um, helping to build that bridge. Um, and then 
kind of in a similar vein, just engaging more with our members than we have in the past. Uh, we don't want it to feel like it's just a one-way stream of communication where we're just giving out information and nothing's coming back in. I want to make sure, I know that we all do, that um, people feel like their membership brings value into their life. Um, and so, and then just building some meaningful partnerships with other organizations that kind of either intersect with our mission or share the same mission and vision, um, because we really need each other to be able to, to achieve what we're all sitting out here trying to do. So those would be our short term. And as far as long term, I think it's just, for me, it's just sustainability. Um, just making sure that we are able to still be here, you know, in 10 years serving and supporting and, um, and whatever that looks like then, you know, based on what education and public education it looks like at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I know that um, for me personally, I would love to see this organization grow in the direction of supporting parents to help be advocates for their children. Oh, yeah. I do want you to speak on uh, the scholarship opportunities. Is that something that you could speak to? Yeah, so that kind of plays into the long-term um, sustainability and launching so many wonderful and exciting things. And one of them is this new annual scholarship fundraiser. Um, and so what we are hoping to do is find donors, individuals, businesses, um, community members who share our vision of having all students um, feel supported and valued. And that includes obviously our, our gifted students, our gifted and talented students. And so we have a very small um, fund that we use every year to give out scholarships to students. Uh, we give many grants to teachers. We do some awards and recognize people for some really awesome things that they do, teachers and administrators. And so I'm hoping that we'll be able to really grow that fund to be like a nice, robust fund that will allow us to have a um, I guess, a deeper impact or, um, or touch more lives. And so I'm hoping that we can have some really meaningful and helpful scholarships. So the ones that we have now are wonderful, but I would like for us to go above and beyond that amount and start to put, you know, something out there for like gifted students with financial need who want to go to college or um, to be able to help, you know, somebody go to camp over the summer and pursue something that they really want to do. And so our hope is that we'll be able to really build that fund up so that we can really make an impact on some lives. I love that. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say that people have to look forward to this year with NCAGT? Something about a conference coming up? Yes. Right. Um, so conference. Well, first of all, I just have to say the podcast right? Like hey. that is so exciting. <laughs> so in thinking about the things that would be coming up this year, that's the thing the, the podcast is brand new and I'm really excited about that. So yes to that. And then we have some stuff coming up with talent unleashed, um, which Dr. Sheila Gallagher is working on. We received grant funding from Z Smith Reynolds that allows us to do that. And so she's working with some districts in North Carolina and helping them to kind of overcome the excellence gap. And then we have the conference in March. We're so excited to be returning to in-person. We are going to have the gifted guru is going to be coming to speak to us. So Lisa Van Gimmert and then Matthew Zakreski, um, he spoke to us at our virtual conference last year. He was um, awesome. I heard him speak at the end and he was so good. He's so good. And I feel like he would be a really good one for parents and teachers. I think that he's absolutely going to meet all the needs. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we've had a couple of people who presented last year, reach back out and hope to participate again in a bigger way. 
than just, you know, a normal presentation. Um, and we're also really excited. We're going to be um, partnering with downtown school in downtown Winston-Salem. They have a school-wide enrichment model that we're really excited to hear from them about. Um, they have some cool stuff. So yeah, we're really, we're really excited about this conference and just getting everybody back together. Um, and then our, I, I failed to mention Ken Dixon is our third keynote speaker. Um, so we're really excited about that lineup. Richard, we're hoping we can maybe get them on the podcast and get them to do a little sneak peek of what the people are going to get at the conference. That would be really neat. Just so cool for us yeah. to have some yeah. super cool, someone on one time would be really, really cool. That'd be awesome. Sure. Yes. Um, so how can our listeners get in contact with you? Where are you available on social media? Um, so directly feel free to email me at japplegate at ncagt.org. And then also I'm on Instagram at underscore Jess Applegate underscore or on Facebook. Um, I'm Jessica Laws Applegate on there. So you should be able to find me connected to NCAGT in some way on those social media platforms. Awesome. Awesome. And then our last thing that we wanted to talk about, um, and this is kind of how we want to just like wrap everything up is we talked about how there's this divide, um, that the term giftedness causes, um, how sometimes it can lead to like misconceptions, um, that can even prevent students from being identified because maybe they don't check these preconceived boxes that people think of. Um, so, would you agree that that term gifted is problematic? Okay. So I have two, two things to say about, well, I have, I can talk all day about everything. (laughs) So I hope you guys talk to Dr. Gallagher, um, Sheila Gallagher. She is on, well, everybody knows who she is, but she's also serves on our board and she has some really interesting research on this um, with like actual data and facts and things. I don't necessarily agree with the findings. (laughs) (laughs) but it's there and you have to talk to her because it's really interesting to hear her um, tell about it. But I, I personally do think that giftedness maybe doesn't, I don't think necessarily that people uh, have a negative association with it, but what I think it actually does is that people hear the term gifted and they feel that those people already have um, a leg up in life, right? Like they're already, they're doing fine. I know that we say that a lot, that people say that, but I think that oftentimes you hear, well, they're gifted. So it's already easy for them. Why do they need advocates? Why do they need support? And you look at other um, like communities and they, they just have this huge community and everybody's supporting them and everybody's throwing money at them and everybody wants to solve all their problems. And then we have gifted kids and everybody's like, but they already, they're already ahead of the game. Like they are. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they're just the lucky few that don't have to try hard, you know? And so I think for me, I've really loved seeing people start to refer as gifted individuals as being like in the neurodiverse community. I think that including, you know, gifted people in that community would perhaps get more support from others because that's really what it is, is just acknowledging that their brains work differently um, oftentimes giftedness comes with, you know, other problems that you have to deal with or problems that other people have to deal with as well. That and no so one knows about. Right, right. And you're balancing that out and it's hidden and that leads to anxiety. And then how that impacts you as an adult 
you know, later down the line that we haven't really ever, I don't know how much research there is on that, but I, I would be interested to hear about it. So to me, I don't know that there's a term that I would trade it for despite obsessing over it for the last year of working with NCAGT, but I definitely think that including giftedness in that um, neurodiverse space would be helpful. I love that. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. That was a great answer. Yeah, that was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for responding and being flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just appreciate you guys having me. And I hope that anytime that I can actually offer something to the conversation that you can let me join you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. We did it. Yeah, that was beautiful. (laughs) 